1 Corinthians uh, 9.24 says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? So run in such a way that you may win. Run in such a way that you may win. And that's what we all want, right? That's what that video talked about, that we want to win. We want to be successful. Uh, But what does that really look like? What does it mean to be successful? If you think about it, entire industries have been created around helping us learn how to be successful. And there is no shortage of advice. There's no shortage of kind of collective wisdom from our culture about how to find success. Here's just a few of what uh, one website labels as the top 10 success quotes. Quotes like this from Pele, where he said, Success is no accident. It is hard work, perseverance, learning, studying, sacrifice, and most of all, love of what you are doing or learning to do. Or like this one, your positive action combined with positive thinking results in success. Or this one from Colin Powell, success is the result of perfection, hard work, learning from failure, loyalty, and persistence. Or maybe this last one, a strong positive self-image is the best possible preparation for success. There's probably some wisdom in these quotes, and these quotes kind of cover a broad range of what our culture says helps you to succeed. But, but at the end of the day or at the end of a life, what is it that determines if we have made the best of the number of years that God has allowed us to tread on this planet? What criteria help us know if we merit a well done from God the Father? That's what we're going to dig into in this series. We're going to question success. We're going to redefine success on God's terms because after all, he is our designer. He is our creator. And creators design their creation to fulfill very specific purposes. But the cool part about us as the creation is that God designed us. He designed humans While he designed us for a few specific purposes, he also created each of us uh, so creatively and so differently that kind of each of us collectively together form this mosaic of, of representing the whole of God's heart, the whole of what God wants to accomplish in this world. And so this month, we're going to be asking ourselves four questions to help us determine our level of success in God's eyes. Today, we're asking the question, am I faithful? Next week, we'll ask the question, am I fruitful? On uh, August 20th, that day of the ministry expo and the campus picnic, we're going to ask ourselves, uh, am I fulfilled? And then we're going to wrap up the series on August 27th by asking ourselves, am I making God famous? Being faithful and fruitful and fulfilled and making God famous, those are, are the hooks that we can hang our success hats on. It's what God's word points to in books like Matthew and John and 1 Peter. The passage of scripture that we're going to walk through today uh, to kind of help us flesh out this am I faithful question is 2 Timothy 4, uh, 5 through 8, in which Paul says this. He says, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. As for me, he says, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which, is, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. So go ahead. If you haven't already done so, pull your outline out of your program guide, grab your pen, and let's start to dive into questioning success 
uh, by asking ourselves the question, am I faithful? And I can discern whether or not I am faithful uh, by asking myself, first off, am I helping others discover a life-changing journey with Jesus? Am I helping others discover a life-changing journey with Jesus? Revisiting the start of that scripture passage today, it says uh, in the first part of 2 Timothy 4, 5, that you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news. Now, just to set a little context here uh, for where Paul's coming from, 2 Timothy uh, is a book that is written by Paul, and if the name Paul sounds familiar, uh, it's because he was also the author of the book of Philippians, which is the book that we've been walking through for the last two months in that Joy Interrupted series. Uh, Paul also wrote several other books uh, of the New Testament as well. Um, But like the book of Philippians, Paul wrote his second letter to Timothy, which is why they call it 2 Timothy, um, while he was in prison. And at this point in Paul's imprisonment, he was kind of isolated in a dark dark and and damp uh, Roman prison cell, and he was nearing the end of his time on this planet. See, in that day and age, Christians, like Paul, were targets of persecution uh, from the Roman Emperor Nero. He was kind of becoming more and more paranoid about Christians, and, and the culture was becoming more and more toxic against Christians. And so Paul could sense that his time was almost up. In fact, shortly after Paul finished writing Second Timothy, writing this letter, he was beheaded by Roman officials. And so you have to imagine that as Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, that he chose his words to, to Timothy, one of his most beloved protégés, with as much uh, intentionality, with as much purpose as he could muster. And so he starts by telling Timothy to keep a clear mind in every situation, to not be afraid of suffering for the, for the Lord. And we're going to come back uh, to those words in just a little bit. But what I want to hone on in on specifically here uh, in this point is that last phrase that says, to work at telling others the good news. If you could underline the word work and underline the words good news in that passage. Paul says to Timothy, and, and he says to us, listen, we all have an incredible story to tell. He says, I know there's a lot going on in your lives. I know that it's not always going to maybe feel safe or comfortable, but from Paul, practically his deathbed, he implores us to work at telling others the good news. You know, Paul, like each of us, has an incredible story to share about how the person of Jesus Christ intersected with and impacted his life. Paul had been impacted so immensely by his encounter with Jesus that now he lived to tell the story of what Jesus had done for him and what Jesus had done for all of mankind. And just like God was doing in Paul's life, God is also writing stories in each of your lives. And while it's your story, just like this was Paul's story, it's not just for you. Just as God can use Paul's story to inspire and and encourage us, he can use your story to inspire and impact others as well. You know, stories, if you think about it, are kind of like the inspiration currency of our day. (laughs) The power of story today trumps the power of persuasion almost every single time. And I know we can sometimes tend to think that eh, our stories really aren't that important, or we kind of underestimate the effect or the impact that our stories could have when we tell them. Because after all, most of our stories are kind of messy, if we're honest, aren't they? Like, and so we question, can God really use our messiness to, to impact other people? And the truth is that yes, he can, and he does. <laughs> 
we've seen it enough and we believe it enough that we're actually going to gear the series in the month of September entirely around helping us learn to tell our stories. And so the series is going to be called So What's Your Story? And it will help you understand how to live out and how to tell that story that God is writing in your life. This summer, actually, uh, earlier in the summer, I just started uh, a new small group, and there's a total of uh, six of us couples in the group, and we all at least kind of knew each other a little bit before the group started, but I don't think any of us uh, would say that we knew each other extraordinarily well. Uh, You may have heard uh, either me or someone else before talk about a taste of community groups at Daybreak, and what taste of community groups really are all about uh, is it's an eight-week group that kind of casts some vision for how to start well in your group. Uh, They give you a chance to kind of test drive a group or get a taste of what group life is all about. And so being a new group, uh, we decided uh, this summer that that's what my group would work through. And the best part of the group, uh, in my opinion, is that it facilitates each of us having an opportunity to share our life stories with each other. You know, you can be in a small group with somebody or you can be in a relationship with somebody for years at a time. You can feel like you really know that person. Uh, But when you get an opportunity to share your stories with each other, when you get an opportunity to hear someone else's story, (laughs) it just takes your relationship with that person to the next level. You develop a a whole new level of respect and and empathy and admiration for that person. And you also develop a whole new gratitude for God's faithfulness, for bringing that person through what they've been through and to this point in time. When you share stories, you laugh, (laughs) you cry, Um, But even more, you're inspired. You're inspired to love Jesus a little bit better. You're inspired inspired to trust God a little bit more. That person's experiences and and God's presence in their life uh, encourages you. It empowers you to further your own journey with Jesus. And so maybe uh, if you're in a group uh, and you don't really have anything specific that you're studying right now, you're kind of waiting for the fall push when all the groups uh, align together and kind of piggyback on the, the Sunday sermons Maybe you want to spend the month of August and September just getting together and sharing your stories together. I think it'll be uh, incredibly bonding for you and uh, take your group to a new place uh, in closeness together. But not only can the power of a story inspire other Christ followers to grow on their journey with Jesus, but it can inspire people who don't know Jesus at all to discover a life-changing journey with him. And that's what Daybreak is all about, helping people discover a life-changing journey with Jesus. Now, earlier uh, in that passage, I had you underline the word work. And I think it's interesting that Paul chooses to use that word uh, to work at, at telling others the good news in this passage. And I think he, he chooses it because he's saying sometimes that sharing the good news, it takes effort. It takes intentionality. It takes uh, discernment. Now, if you've been going to Daybreak for a little while, you've probably heard us uh, talk about sharing uh, 100-word stories. Hundred-word stories are just that. They're stories that are comprised of about a hundred words, and though they're short, um, God can use them in mighty ways. You know, while each of us kind of have like that grand story of our whole lives, kind of the book on our lives, so to speak, uh, our life is made up of several different chapters of of many different stories. And so that's what hundred-word stories are all about, being able to share in short snippets the way that God has changed us or, or grown us or impacted us how our relationship with Jesus has made all of the difference in our lives. And when we take the time, uh, when we do the work to write out some of those 100-word stories about um, how God has intersected with our life, or when we take the time to really invest in knowing how to tell God's story, 
uh, in a concise and clear and compelling manner, then we can be ready to at any time share the reason for the hope that we have, as it says in 1 Peter 3. When we've got multiple stories ready to roll at any time, we can keep our eyes and our ears and our hearts open when we're in conversations with other people. We can be ready to see where our life experiences intersect with their life experiences and how we can encourage and inspire that person based on how God has brought us through that set of similar circumstances. And in preparing today, uh, I felt led to give you an example to share uh, one of my 100-ish word stories uh, with you. And uh, this story is about my son, Everett, and um, kind of the journey that God has had me on over the past few years to learn to trust him more, to learn to kind of relinquish uh, control and to surrender to him. So my son, Everett, just turned two, um, but before he was born, we found out uh, that he had a genetic disorder called TSC. Uh, when the doctors found masses in his heart and uh, in a regular uh, heart rhythm. And we knew that uh, there was a possibility that Everett could have this. He was kind of genetically predisposed uh, towards this disorder. And so I actually drug my feet for quite a while uh, in conversations with my wife to to make the decision to to have a second child after we had a healthy firstborn. Um, But God eventually convicted me that I was trying to play him, that I was trying to be God that I was trying to maintain ultimate control over something that wasn't really mine to control in the first place. But when we found out that he did have this genetic disorder, it was kind of like my fears were coming uh, to reality. And so all of these questions started flooding my mind, like, would he even make it uh, to birth? Uh, And if he did, like, based on this genetic disorder that he has, what else would be wrong with him? Or what would his quality of life be like? And these were all questions that I ultimately had to relinquish to God. This truly became a situation where I had really no other good option than to just trust God, to trust that his plan, however it would play out, would be the best plan. Now, like I said, Everett just turned uh, two, and uh, in addition to his heart, uh, they found some masses um, in his brain and near his kidneys, um, but thankfully, based on medication and some good uh, monitoring from uh, several different doctors, he's well-maintained right now. Um, but the exact picture of his future, it really is still unknown to us. Um, but throughout all of that, the comforting and the peace-giving presence of God really has blanketed me. I've been able to learn to entrust um, Everett to God as God's kid, to view him more as God's kid than I view him uh, as my kid. And uh, I can do that because I know that God loves him way more than I could ever even love him. And so I no longer clutch to, to this false sense of control Um, But I've learned to be able to relinquish control uh, to God through surrender. And that really, for me, has made all of the difference and given me an indescribable peace. Just to walk you through the pictures uh, a little bit there, when we found out that Everett had the genetic disorder, we we posted that left-hand picture on Facebook to ask people to pray. The middle one, uh, he gets to wear heart monitors every once in a while so that they can monitor what's going on there. Uh, He's always very thrilled when he gets them on. Uh, And then on the right, uh, just to clear things up, Everett has not converted to Hinduism. Uh, He he actually uh, took a spill and kind of got this little uh, boo-boo on his head. But uh, that picture on the right is just like a perfect uh, picture of who Everett is right now. Uh, The boo-boo, the the shirt that says one volume only loud. Uh, It just perfectly describes kind of his adventurous and boisterous personality right now. So that's just one story uh, that God has been writing in me over the past few years. Um, But the question for you to consider is, what stories is God writing in you? Uh, And beyond that, who do you need to share uh, those stories with? 
I challenge you to think about that this month, to maybe start to take the time to write out a few of those hundred-word stories and also to pray about uh, people whose life circumstances are maybe kind of similar to what God has brought you through. Pray about telling those people your story and pray about inviting them to church in the month of September. September is going to be a great month where people can come out and be inspired by all kinds of stories. We're going to have baptisms at the end of the month. Baptisms are always inspiring, so they'll get to be inspired by other stories, but maybe even more, they'll get a chance to kind of sit and process, like, hey, what story is God writing in my life? How is God working in my life? So 2 Timothy 4, 5 through 8, it starts by showing us that a success is found in faithfulness to tell God's story and our story of God working in us. But we continue in the passage to ask, am I faithful? By asking number two, am I contributing to God's work through my sweet spot? Am I contributing to God's work through my sweet spot? So Paul ends that first part of verse 5, and he says, work at telling others the good news, but he continues that sentence. He says, work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Would you underline the words, fully carry out? As for me, he says, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. Underline that word faithful. Now the last time I was here, I think maybe it was 4th of July weekends, um, I preached about Paul and kind of the propensity that Paul had to partner with others uh, in the gospel. And so here again in 2 Timothy, this is an example. Paul is writing to Timothy, one of his ministry partners, who was actually almost more of like a spiritual son to Paul. And so as Paul writes his last letter, Uh, to Timothy, and as he dreams about God's best for Timothy, he encourages Timothy to fully carry out the ministry that God has given him. And what exactly does he mean by that? Well, I think Paul here is certainly implying that God has put a very specific assignment, uh, a very specific ministry uh, in Timothy's heart. And if you look throughout the Bible, I think you you see that pattern repeating itself of of God inviting people to actively join him in very specific ways in the redemption of the world, in God's redemptive work in this world. And God does the same thing for each of us. He wants to use us to carry on that work that Jesus started, to help people experience the life-changing power that's available through Jesus' life and death and resurrection. He wants us, he wants his people to be involved in making all things right, right, in making all things new and bringing the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And so the question for you is, what part of that is God inviting you to care deeply about and to make a difference in? Do you know what it is? And even more, are you fully engaged in it? Now, this can be called many different things. At daybreak, we call this uh, your passion because we believe it. it has to do with your heart. What part of God's heart has he kind of transplanted into your, part, into your heart? What part of your heart is beating for what God cares about deeply? You know, if you think about it, God is pretty incredible because he can care about everything. <laughs> like every news story, every hurting person, uh, every wrong that needs to be made right, God cares about all of it. We simply can't do that. I think we would explode, right? <laughs> you and I can't care about everything but we can care about something. You know, maybe you know what your passion is. Uh, Maybe you've never really thought about that or explored that much, or or maybe you're kind of skeptical that you even have a passion. 
But wherever you're at, I want to assure you that God has given you a passion. He's invited you to join him in very specific work to redeem and restore this world. You might have heard it said uh, that experience is the greatest teacher, or maybe that God never wastes a hurt. You know, I think those two quotes play really well into this passion discussion. Because if you don't know what your passion is, if you stop and you take some time to think about your own experiences, especially the, one, the, the hard ones, the challenging ones that God has brought you through, God often fans a passion into flame through those types of experiences. He doesn't waste the hard times. He doesn't waste the hurts. Typically, more often, I think he uses them for his glory instead. And so identifying our passion helps us to know where God may be calling us to serve. So that's definitely part of what it looks like for us to fully carry out the ministry that God has given us. But part of it, I think, also involves us utilizing our gifting. See, when we accept uh, the saving work of Jesus on our behalf and we begin a relationship with God, Jesus promises us that his Holy Spirit is now made available to us, that his Holy Spirit actually dwells inside of us, uh, both to guide us and to lead us. And one pretty cool thing about the Holy Spirit is that it gives us what we call spiritual gifts. And Peter talks about them in this way in 1 Peter 4. He says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. In other words, spiritual gifts are given by God to every believer for the common good, right? to bless other people, to serve other people well. And so some of you are probably saying right now, hey, this whole like gifts thing sounds kind of cool, uh, but how do you figure out what your gifts are? Well, there's tons of spiritual gifts inventories out there that you can take, but honestly, What most of those inventories draw from are the ways that God has um, used you in an almost supernatural way as you have served in the past. And so absolutely, a spiritual gifts inventory will help to begin to give you some insight. Uh, But if you dive into it before you've really started serving at all, you might not get as much clarity as you hope. So for you, step one might just be to say, hey, I need to look at that passion. I need to say, where has God called me to serve? And I just need to start to jump in. I need to start to get some experience that I can draw from so that God can illuminate in me what those spiritual gifts are. So passion and spiritual gifts, those are good places to start to fully engage in ministry. Uh, But the picture becomes complete when you also begin to think about and look at your style. And what I mean about uh, style is your personal style, like your personality, uh, what God has wired you, uh, the way that God has wired you uh, to serve. You know, well, passion kind of helps you to answer like that where question, like where do I need to serve? And spiritual gifts kind of help you discern, like, what do I do best as I serve? Personal style points a little bit more to uh, how I will best serve as I'm serving. You know, similarly to spiritual gifts, there's a million different personality or temperament uh, tests that you can take out there on the internet. But, but one of the, the easiest ways, I think, to look at it, especially related to this conversation of serving, is to ask yourself two questions. And the first question is this, am I more task-oriented or people-oriented? Am I more energized by, by getting things done, or am I more energized by, by being in conversations and relating to people? The second question to ask yourself is, am I more structured or unstructured? Structured people are more precise, uh, they're more planned, they're more detailed. Uh, they like order, they like to just make a decision, to hammer something out so that they can then 
go on and carry out that decision. Unstructured people, on the other hand, they are more ambiguous than precise. They like flexibility. They like variety. They like spontaneity. Uh, They don't really mind when things aren't quite figured out. They don't mind figuring things out on the fly. So when you answer those questions, am I task or people-oriented? Am I structured or unstructured? Those two questions then kind of lead themselves, lend themselves to four different kind of overall general personality styles. But even when you look at each individual among those uh, single styles, each individual still is different. There's kind of a different flavoring, a different uh, level of seasoning that God gives to each one of us. Now, when I read this point, I read the words sweet spot. I said to fully engage in your sweet spot, but I haven't really addressed yet what that means. What's what we've been talking about, what your sweet spot is, is the place where your passion and your spiritual gifts and your personal style all align. It's serving in a place and in a way where your passion is firing on all cylinders and where your spiritual gifts are being used supernaturally uh, and where you can operate in a healthy way in your personal style. That's what we believe it looks like to fully carry out the ministry that God has given for you here at Daybreak. Sometimes we call your sweet spot uh, your GPS uh, because like a GPS, your sweet spot will get you to where you need to go in serving. It kind of leads you on the right track. It gets you on the right road. So just to give you an example of kind of how those things overline, or overlap, rather, um, my passion um, is to create environments where people can experience God. And so I love being part of worship arts ministries and, and helping to create and influence um, what our corporate worship environment looks like. I love being part of connecting ministries and helping to create environments in small groups where people experience the power of God both in and through other people. So that's my passion. Layered on top of that then are my spiritual gifts. My spiritual gifts um, are administration, um, apostleship, which is like starting new ministry initiatives, teaching, uh, and then creative communication. So things like a written word or music, kind of ways to creatively express Uh, the truth, so that people hear it or feel it in a different way. So you can see how those spiritual gifts kind of speak to what I do best as I carry out my passion. And then my personal style is task-structured, although I'm a little bit more towards the middle on that task versus people continuum. Um, But so task-structured, when you're task-structured, it shows that uh, you're going to bring a strength of organization, that you'll be uh, high in follow-through, that um, details will be something that comes easily for you. Uh, that you'll be reliable to get a job done. Both, uh, both ways, task or people, both ways honor people. But the ways that, uh, that task-oriented people honor people uh, is through supporting them well. And so uh, that's something that comes naturally to me based on my style. So when you start to look at these three things together, it gives you a lot of clarity into how God may want to fully engage you in ministry. And that's why at Daybreak, we offer something called the Clarify Workshop. Clarify really walks you through this process of of discerning what your sweet spot is. It kind of gives you an opportunity to work through some of those inventories, um, to dig into what each of those three things are a little bit more. And then once you figure out what that sweet spot is, it matches you up uh, with a ministry opportunity in Daybreak where you might be able to live that sweet spot out. And so if you've already completed the journey class, if you're already a member of Daybreak, Uh, I want to highly recommend that you take that as a next step, that you dive into what your sweet spot is. And if you haven't already completed the journey class, that's also a great place to start because it does also give you an introduction to the gifts and the passion 
uh, and the personal style piece. Both of those classes you see there on the screen are coming up soon. They're coming up on Saturday, September 9th in the morning. And although the official sign-ups aren't open for either of those yet, uh, you can get a jump start on signing up by either writing the word journey or writing the word clarify on your response card today. Really learning about our gifts, learning about our passion, learning about our style. What that's all about is being able to discern the very unique way that God has designed us to bring his love into the world. And so God sees us as being faithful. He sees us as being successful when we carry out the purposes he has designed for us through that unique blend of passion and gifts and style that he's fashioned us in. In addition to being faithful uh, in that way, something else that we can glean from Paul's letter to Timothy, another facet of what it looks like for us to be faithful, to be successful, uh, can be found as we ask ourselves the third question for today, which is this. It's, am I sacrificing now for the sake of something greater later? Am I sacrificing now for the sake of something greater later? We look back at verse 5 from our passage. Uh, Like I said, we'd be looking at those words a little bit later. We're reminded that Paul said, don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. And so we read that and we're kind of like, okay, Paul, that's that's an interesting thing to say. (laughs) What would have motivated you to say such a thing? Why are you giving this advice? Well, we don't have to look much further to see what Paul was thinking because in verse 8, Paul said this. He said, and now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but it's for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Paul was not afraid of suffering. Paul was not afraid of sacrificing because he fully anticipated that moment when God would look back on his life and reflect upon how faithful Paul had been with the calling that God had given him. You know, Paul was not a do-the-bare-minimum kind of guy. <laughs> if Paul was serving in our church today, I don't think that he would have called himself a volunteer. I think he would have called himself a servant. What's the difference between volunteer uh, and a servant? You know, I think if we view ourselves as volunteers, we're just kind of picturing ourselves as cogs in a machine, right? Like, we're just filling a slot. I am person number seven of person number 30 that serves in the children's ministry, right? But when we see ourselves as servants... When we sacrifice now for the sake of something greater, that's when God smiles. That's when we're getting it right. You know, volunteers might get the job done, but, but servants picture what they're doing. They, they see the bigger picture that what they do makes an eternal impact. Volunteers might say, I'm glad I got through another Sunday. But servants say, I can't wait to see how God is going to use that offering of my time and my talent today to bless others. Because serving, or serving is not just about checking a box. Serving is about making a difference. And serving, being able to view ourselves as servants, it often requires sacrifice. You know, you remember that scripture when Jesus, uh, when it says that Jesus took the very position, that he, he became the very nature of a servant, that he humbled himself, he made himself nothing. Like what a picture of sacrifice this was. Christ sacrificed the comforts of heaven. He sacrificed his position of sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. And you kind of have this picture that like Jesus is sitting there in heaven in his throne next to God's throne and he's got a drink in a coconut shell with a straw coming out of it, right? Like he's got it made and he sacrificed all of that 
in the short term for something far greater in the long term. And you know what that was? (laughs) An opportunity for you and for me to enter into a forever relationship with God the Father. That's what his sacrifice was for. But what does sacrifice look like for you and for me? I think oftentimes, if we're honest, they're just kind of pushing through our excuses, right? (laughs) They're kind of pushing through uh, those first world problems that we experience. There are things like inconveniences or things like uh, having to prioritize uh, blessing others or being with others over entertaining ourselves. (laughs) There are things like maybe stretching outside of our comfort zone just a little bit, being uncomfortable, or things like knowing that we're going to be tired and having to wake up a little bit earlier and get to church maybe a little bit earlier than we would prefer, right? Guys, I think that way too many times, if we're honest, God probably looks at our excuses and he's like, that's kind of lame, you know? It's like when you ask your kids to do something and what they tell you back is like, dude, like, come on. Like, you just kind of shake your head at your kids, right? I think God might do that to us sometimes. (laughs) You know, I think when uh, instead, when we can uh, line kind of, our excuses up against the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, the boundless grace that he offers us, that's where our serving and our sacrificing need to come from. When we can keep Jesus' sacrifice in perspective, we'll be compelled to serve and to sacrifice, expectant of how God will use our sacrifice to do something far greater, of how God could use our very sacrifice to help someone enter into a forever relationship with him, And when you stop to think about things you could sacrifice for, <laughs> there's nothing that you could sacrifice for that's more important, more valuable than that. Planning Center, which is uh, Daybreak's database, it has an app uh, that helps us to schedule volunteers for Sunday morning serving opportunities. And as of Friday, Planning Center listed 457 individuals in the services app. And these people serve in a variety of ways, like Some people serve as greeters, and so uh, their weekly serve might be half an hour or 45 minutes, right? You get here early, uh, you pray, you you greet people as they come in, you're helping people feel welcome, you're helping them feel like they're part of the church family. So you've got that serve, and then maybe you've got to serve uh, like in the band, where between, you know, practicing at home and, and practicing twice at daybreak and then playing for two services, maybe you're serving up to 10 hours. But let's say just for the sake of illustration that all 457 of those individuals just averaged one hour a week in their service. One hour a week where they were sacrificing now for something greater later. If you extrapolate that out to 52 weeks, again we're talking just for Sunday serves that are scheduled through Planning Center, you're looking at daybreakers serving almost 24,000 hours in a year. And that's a mind-blowing stat that makes me really proud to be a part of this church family. Because you think about all of the lives that are touched and blessed through those 24,000 hours. The kids that are shepherded. The kids that are inspired. You know, the hugs that are given to greet people. The, the moments of conviction and decision that, that our sacrificing can help create in corporate worship. The people who come and feel like, I don't know if there's hope for me to carry on. And through one of you sacrificing now for the sake of something greater later, they find the hope to keep going. If you're not a part of that, (laughs) you're missing out. So be part of the 457 that say, I'm going to give up some of my time now. I'm going to inconvenience myself. I'm going to make a small sacrifice. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to put others first so that God can work, so that something far greater can happen both in me 
and through me in ways that I may never even know this side of heaven. The big idea, what it all boils down to, what it all kind of summarizes down to today, is that God measures success through faithfulness. God measures success by how faithful we are in helping others discover a life-changing journey with Jesus through sharing our story and through sharing God's story. He measures success by how faithful we are uh, in fully engaging in ministry, by figuring out what our sweet spot is and then living that out. And he measures success by how faithful we are in willingly sacrificing now in order for something far greater to take place. And there honestly are not many more things (laughs) that are as thrilling as knowing that you are being used by God. When you faithfully serve God, when you know that you're a part of what God is doing uh, to redeem and restore his people that he loves so dearly, there's nothing that's more fulfilling than that. Let me pray for us. God, it makes total sense that we would find the most fulfillment, that we would find the most joy when we're serving you, when we're getting outside of our comfort zones, when we're getting outside of ourselves and our excuses and humbly and faithfully serving. God, all of us have this desire to go deeper in our relationship with you, but sometimes I wonder if you kind of won't let us go deeper, if your hands are kind of tied until we obey you. until we carry out what you've already shown us? Could it look like that going deeper is actually obeying what you revealed to us? (laughs) God, it's not more knowledge that you desire for us. It's more obedience. And so help us to put aside our excuses, to put aside things that pale in comparison (laughs) to the importance of what you have and what you want to use us for in faithful service to you. God, for those of us who aren't serving yet, help us to just get started. And as we do, and for those who are serving, continue to enlighten us, continue to show us exactly the way that you have crafted us to make a unique difference, a unique impact in this world. God, fan our passion into flame, put our spiritual gifts into action, help us to live out our personal style in a healthy way. God, we love you and we can't wait to be used by you. Use us for something great. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you could pull out your response card now, take this opportunity that you have to, to really process what God spoke to you today. There's lots of different ways that you could respond. Some of the big ones that maybe we talked about a little bit earlier in the message, uh, one opportunity would be to sign up for Journey Class or to sign up for the Clarify Workshop. If you haven't taken Journey, that's a great place to start. It's a solid introduction to gifts and, and passion and style. Um, if you have taken it, sign up for Clarify. Get into your sweet spot. Find out what that is. Get that GPS focused and pointing you in the right direction in serving in ministry. If you look in your program guide, you heard about it uh, from Aaron in the video opportunities this morning, but there's a ministry expo also coming up on Sunday, August 20th. And a great response today might be to take this invitation to the ministry expo home, to look through it, to read over it, and just to start to begin to pray. Say, God, what ministry might you be calling me to explore a little bit more? Where might you be leading me to serve? One other possible response today is begin to work on uh, writing out some of those hundred-word stories, to take some time uh, to write those stories out, to to be prayerful about, God, who could I tell these stories to? Who do you want to use me to inspire and to encourage? Who could I invite to church to come and and hear some stories and, and maybe start to process some of their own stories? 
So maybe God spoke to you today in one of those ways. Maybe he spoke to you in an entirely different way than any of those things. But wherever he's leading you, however he spoke to you, take a minute now to process that, to record your response on your prayer request. You can also record any uh, prayer requests that you have. Uh, Take a minute to do that. Take a minute to process while the worship team leads us now uh, in a new song that really just, it calls us to a deeper place. It calls us past the status quo.